were they once this huge company and then they just kind of faltered off while Nike and Adidas managed to spike so far ahead. Hi, I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Ben Unglesby. We're senior reporters with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends. And talk about some of the things that don't always make it into our stories. This is The Backroom. Hi, welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. I'm here today with senior editor of Retail Dive, Kara Salpini, to talk about a recent story on Reebok. It is a huge story, and Kara, it seems like you've been working on it pretty much all year or most of the year. Is that right? Yeah. So I think it was around March or April that we began working on this piece, and it's felt a lot longer than that. I know our manager at one point was like, you've been working on this story for a whole year. And I was like, it might feel like that, but it hasn't been quite that long. Well, and also all everyone's sense of time has been completely warped by the permanently by the pandemic. Like I have no sense of time anymore. Like the past six months feels like two years in general to me. Why don't you tell us how the story got started in the first place? What was the impetus? Why look at Reebok? Why now and why look so deeply? Yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of kind of factors that went into it, but breaking it down a couple of them, why now was kind of you know, Adidas announced that they were going to sell Reebok officially. So that was a big kind of push that we should take a look at, at this company now that they're trying to sell it off. And then uh, really have to give credit to Karin on our team, who's a, an editor on Retail Dive. She actually pointed out it would be great to do something on Reebok as a company because she edited a piece of mine on Nike, actually, and how dominant Nike's been over the past, like, you know, decades and in reading that piece, she was like, you know, Matt Powell from the NPD group had this really interesting quote where he said that Reebok used to be number one. And she was like, that's, you know, I didn't know that. We should, you know, what's the story behind that? Like, how was Reebok number one? Like, that's kind of an interesting point. Um, so she really started me down this road of like, you know, maybe, maybe let's take a look at Reebok. And initially it was supposed to be just Kind of a timeline of the company and how did they how did they reach number one and and where are they now now that they're being sold off by adidas and then it kind of just um <laughs> escalated i guess from there i mean you talked to some of the the earliest players at the company i mean one of the one of the founders yeah so that was that that's one of the escalation points i would say so i was originally like i said building out this kind of timeline and I thought that's all it was going to be, was just kind of a timeline. And I would have an intro talking a little bit about the history of the company. And, and that was going to be it. But then uh, I don't know what set me down on this road, but I was like, well, I wonder who the founder is. Um, and so then I looked that up and I was like, oh, OK, uh, Joe Foster is the founder and he's you know in his 80s. But I noticed when I was Googling around that he had his own website and he had just published a book. Um, and the website, you know, had kind of like a contact page. So I thought, well, whatever, you know, he, he probably won't respond, but I'll just reach out via his website and see if he gets back to me. And then uh, I guess this ended up being a positive. The website contact page refused to let me submit any kind of request through it. <laughs> it was like clearly malfunctioning. So I did what every journalist probably does in that situation, which is I went to LinkedIn and I was like, well, maybe he's on LinkedIn. 
he was on LinkedIn. And <laughs> I figured, you know, again, like he probably won't respond, but I might as well message him and, and see if he's interested in, in talking about the company. I think it was only 24 hours later that he responded to me on LinkedIn and was like, I would love to talk about, you know, Reebok, let's set something up. And so that was kind of the really big moment where I was like, oh, okay, this might not end up just being a timeline. And then once I talked to him, uh, he, I mean, he spoke with me for over an hour and he was really generous with his time. He was so, um, he had so many things he, he was interested in talking through about Reebok and every question I asked seemed to kind of just create more and more different layers of the story. So that was definitely, I would say the the principal kind of impetus and, and when I realized like this actually might be worth a, a deeper look and um, and reaching out to more people. I'm just amazed that one of the founders of Reebok is on LinkedIn and still on LinkedIn. I mean, he's he's retired, right? Yeah, no, he retired like early on, like in the late 80s, he retired. So he has no reason to necessarily be, <laughs> be job seeking. Um, but but the interesting thing about him, though, is he is in his he's in his 80s. He's been retired for a long time, but he's also kind of active in talking with like current people at Reebok. He even said in the piece, you know, I'm happy to talk to anyone that wants to talk, like whoever acquires Reebok, I'd love to talk to them. So he's still very engaged. And I think part of that is just that he's the founder, right? Like you can, you know, you can retire, but you, you made the company. So like a part of you is always kind of still interested in who's running it and what are they doing? And do they want to hear from me about like what I did in the old days? And so I think he's, he's a very, uh, He's very involved with heart and mind, if not in person, necessarily. You talked to him about the possible sale of of Reebok. I mean, I know you talked at length about the the Adidas acquisition. Did you talk to him at length about Adidas maybe selling it and what that means for the brand? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have we didn't talk through, you know, specific companies that, that could necessarily purchase Reebok. But we talked a lot about he really sees this as a huge opportunity for Reebok because under Adidas, the company kind of shrank and became a little more focused around, you know, more fitness oriented rather than like a sports company, which it kind of was at its height. Um, so he sees a lot of opportunity in being able to thrive under another company and not have to worry about, you know, one of the biggest problems under Adidas is that the two companies played in a lot of the same spaces. So that came up repeatedly of like, you know, how are you expecting Reebok to grow if it's living under a company that it was competing against? So like they never kind of figured out how to let Reebok grow alongside Adidas. So I think that was a that was kind of a key focus that Joe Foster had on the sale was this is a huge opportunity for whoever picks them up to kind of get back to some of the old areas Reebok used to play in and like you know, look back at the catalog of footwear that they have. Um, the brand goes back so far. I think they founded it in 1958. And Joe Foster's grandfather had a company like even further before then. So there's just a lot of history that they could pull from. And I think he was excited about those opportunities more so than anything. And you personally, I mean, you don't you don't have a memory of Reebok's heyday. You are not alive. <laughs> <laughs> No, 
I was, that's, that's been, and that's been the really like fun part of working on this is that pretty much everything is new to me because I wasn't, I wasn't around in the eighties. I was born in, uh, I was born in the nineties. So by the time I was even born, a lot of the stuff we talk about in the story had already happened. So, you know, I didn't grow up knowing about like the pump or the freestyle, which were some of, you know, Reebok's biggest shoes. I have, I have absolutely no memory of, of those. And then even as, you know, a retail reporter, my world has, has just been so dominated by especially Nike. Like that's just been clear since I started working here four years ago is Nike's just such a dominant force that I never would have thought that Reebok had, had once been a challenger in that space or had once made more than Nike in that space. So all of that has been like super fresh and, <laughs> and news to me, which is fun. It makes it fun to look into, you know? What and I am old enough to remember like the pump shoes and and sort of rem- I mean I remember Reebok being a huge shoe brand and I like in my mind it is still a huge shoe brand <laughs> like I, I remember I have vivid memories of its like of its heyday and then I stopped paying attention to pop culture during its decline, yeah no so. and it's I mean that's the thing that's like I think is really fascinating about stories like this is it's just a story of like a brand that used to be super big and you're kind of like questioning the whole time like like how did this happen like <laughs> how were they once this huge company and then they just kind of faltered off while Nike and Adidas managed to spike so far ahead it's almost like this existential questioning that you go down of what makes one brand you know better than another or live longer than another or you know get more in sales than another it's really fascinating to think about and some of the things you know i think this was brought up by a couple of sources but like nike signing michael jordan like did they know that michael jordan was going to end up being like as big as he was because if michael jordan hadn't been michael jordan then maybe nike wouldn't have had such a jump on Reebok. So there's a lot of like interesting what if scenarios that you can go into when you're looking at at this company and and what happened to it. And I was going to ask you that. And Nike is like you have to remind everyone on the team like just how big Nike is. You just told me the other day that they ha- they make more in <laughs> revenue than was it Dollar General? Yeah. Which, which is, is the largest retailer in the country by store count. They have like they have more than 14,000 stores selling everything under the sun and Nike, the shoe company makes more money than they do. Yeah, no. And they, I mean, they make over $40 billion annually, which like by itself, it's hard to kind of like put that into perspective, but it's just like a ginormous brand. And yeah, especially when you're looking at like, what other you know department stores or yeah dollar stores or these other companies that that Nike just dwarfs it's it's crazy and it's crazy to um, look at I think I have a, a net sales chart in the piece that kind of shows this really well but you just see at the very beginning 1985 you just see Nike and Reebok and they're really close together on this net sales chart and then it's just like. Nike starts growing and it never stops and it just becomes this this crazy like mountain spike of a line and even Adidas which is you know a big big athletics brand is still like significantly smaller than Nike is so it's really 
it's become a story of Nike just dominating kind of everyone else in that in that market. So the the fact that Reebok was once up there and the fact that Nike has has since just like continued to dominate is really it's really interesting looking back. Yeah. So so have, having done all the reporting on those early days and thinking about all these counterfactuals and like hypothetical scenarios, is there is there an alternate universe an alternate history where Reebok in 2021 could be bigger than Nike? This is my favorite question, Ben. I'm so glad you asked me this because <laughs> I asked pretty much everyone I talked to this question. Yeah, like, do you think under some alternate scenario that Reebok could be where Nike is today? And I mean, the answer is kind of like, there's no way you could really tell, right? It's possible that even had Reebok signed Michael Jordan, maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they wouldn't have been able to capitalize it on it the same way that Nike has. You know, Nike has an entire Jordan brand right now that makes you know a ton of money for them. So, you know, that was that was a a benefit to Nike. Also, a couple of people had had talked about, you know, Reebok didn't have like you know they weren't failing in terms of some of their shoe releases. Like some of their releases were really good. But a couple of them, they they kind of flooded the market and they released way too many pairs. And then suddenly they had to discount the shoes. And that's a problem that Nike has never really dealt with because they've been really focused on wanting to be in demand and always like kind of keeping the supply below that demand level and driving this like mystique around their products. And and so, you know, a lot of people also gave Nike credit for its own kind of approach to, to business as a whole. But I mean, you know, it's, it's like a really, it's a really tough question. And I think a lot of the people I talked to kind of said, yeah, sure, we totally could have gotten there. But at the same time, like, at, at some point, what can you do? I think Paul Fireman, who was a longtime CEO of Reebok, put it really well, where he just said, you know, if if I went back, I'd do it pretty much all the same because you can't change the way you think about things. You know, you made decisions at a certain time because of the way you were thinking about them. And like, you can't change how you approach that. You can't change the way you would make that decision, which is a really kind of interesting thought process of, of maybe it was possible, but at the same time, who was running the company and and what were they thinking through? And would those things have, you know, would those things have changed? I mean, I think I think the other big question everyone wants to ask is like, did Adidas, could, could, could Reebok have done better with if it had never been <laughs> sold to, to Adidas? I think, I think the answer of most people that I talk to is an emphatic, yes, it could have yeah. done better. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's actually super interesting. The relationship with Adidas is kind of tricky because even, you know, Joe Foster, who loves this company so much, and Paul Fireman, who's the one who sold it to Adidas, you know, even though they both are kind of like, yeah, Adidas is is part a large part of the reason that Reebok is where it is today, they also kind of both thought it was a good idea at the time. So, you know, Paul Fireman really liked the idea of Adidas because you know, I think he mentioned like they had a good they had a good amount of market share between them where it wouldn't be looked at by antitrust. And his real thought was Adidas could kind of if Adidas and Reebok combined, they could kind of take on Nike together. 
So it was like supposed to be really beneficial for both of them because it would allow, you know, two of the the second and third basically forces in the market to take on number one, which was Nike. There were some real thoughts on like how this could have been great. But <laughs> ultimately, I think I think most people involved attribute the Adidas acquisition with Reebok's more accelerated decline because, you know, they got acquired and they became much more focused in the fitness space rather than sports, which is a lot smaller than the sports market. And also they got a little bit like deprioritized because Adidas was the main brand. So anything that wasn't going to be good for Adidas, but would be good for Reebok, they weren't going to do. So I think it's it's just kind of a story of an acquisition <laughs> with potentially good intentions at the beginning that just turned into the decline of one brand in favor of another, which the people at Reebok obviously <laughs> would have uh, would have preferred something different. But that is also kind of the right you have as an acquirer is to take up a brand and get what you can from that other company. So it's it's kind of a tricky relationship, but I think most people definitely would say that the Adidas acquisition was the cause of a lot of problems for Reebok and a lot of Reebok's decline. And it's tough. It's tough. I mean, it happens a lot in in retail and other industries. I mean, acquisitions a lot of times don't work out. And a lot of times when you have multiple banners under the same parent, there's competition, there's infighting, there's struggles, struggles to get attention and resources. Well, right. And like, you know, there was even I think it was Matt Powell who who made this point in the piece, but he was kind of talking about you even have the issue of if you're both operating in multiple of the same markets, then that means you're selling to like the same retailers trying to give them your product. And then it becomes you're competing literally against each other for store space and for like deals with, yeah, like with wholesalers. So like it becomes really hard to make both of those brands grow because you are directly competing against each other. So yeah, it seems, you know, it seems like once you talk it through, it seems obvious, but, um, but at the same time, I think it seemed kind of obvious back in the early 2000s that Adidas and Reebok combining would be, would be greater than separated against Nike. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely some things looking back that especially the Reebok folks wish <laughs> Adidas hadn't done, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's a little bit of what choice did Adidas have? Because if their if their choices let's hurt our company in favor of this other brand that we acquired, like who's going to make that choice? Now there was one person who was who was involved in the early days with Reebok, still relevant, that you tried to get in touch with, I believe, who you did not have luck with. And that would be Shaquille O'Neal, who I pushed very hard for you to try to contact. I imagine he's a hard he's a hard interview to get. Nothing not to take anything away from from the Joe Foster interview, but it would have been pretty awesome if you would if you talked to Shaq. Because I'm interested in yes, what he has to say. No, I would have loved to have talked to Shaq. Um, no, that would have been a huge get. I did, for the record, start reaching out to Shaq 
close to the beginning. <laughs> I think, you know, sometime in March or, or whenever I ended up talking to Joe Foster, I was like, well, I might as well reach out to Shaquille O'Neal now that now that Joe Foster <laughs> returned my message. But no, I mean, I, I reached out through multiple different kind of channels and tried to get in touch with him through like PR agencies. <laughs> Just for the record, if Shaquille O'Neal is listening to this podcast, he is welcome anytime. We are still interested. To, we still would love to talk with Shaq. <laughs> well, and you had pointed out, Ben, this was actually an interesting thought on it, that Shaquille O'Neal is involved with Authentic Brands Group, which is supposed to be one of the companies right. that's uh, that's potentially going to acquire Reebok. When it was an, <laughs> when Anita's announced that it was exploring a sale of Reebok, I tried to get you to bet me. I tried to get you to bet put odds against authentic brands making an offer. And I tried not to tell you why. And then I just went ahead and told you why, because I knew that because <laughs> I put two and two together and I knew that Shaq was a major investor in authentic brands. And Shaq had said once that he thought he could revive the, the Reebok brand. And also, I mean, we should say for people who don't know that Shaq was, uh, Shaq signed with Reebok. So <laughs> he was, he was deeply involved. Yeah. Back, back in the, what, the eighties, right? Was this during the heyday period of Reebok? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Shaq I was think a huge deal was, back then. He's, well, and, and that's the is, thing. But... That's the other thing that's like, it's another one of those moments where you're like, it feels like Reebok was doing the right thing, right? Like, you know, Nike had, has signed Michael Jordan and Reebok signs Shaq and Shaq is like still relevant today. Like Shaq like talks on talk shows and like is like he exists in the culture's mind still. He's a big deal. So it seems like that would be like such a good move for Reebok to like have this influential figure who's lasted such a long time in in the kind of public's mind. And uh, I kind of go into it a little bit in that piece, but there there are other reasons why that didn't necessarily work out for them the same way that Michael Jordan did for Nike, where like, you know, Shaq is a big man. And like, if you're an average kid, you can't necessarily dream of like, being Shaq ever, because like, so much <laughs> of it depends on like, his height, like he's massive. So there's I don't know, there are some interesting kind of smaller things that played into Reebok, not necessarily ending up where Nike is that um that are kind of fun to like look into like yeah like Shaq feels like such a good move so why didn't Shaq work out and then it's like well because he's you know he's such a he's such a different position than a guard and most kids would dream of being like a guard rather than a post person and also like uh an another Matt Powell quote I'm just citing him everywhere but he had a great thing about um big men need supportive shoes and supportive shoes are a lot uglier <laughs> than other shoes <laughs> so it's just like things you know things you won't you wouldn't necessarily think about and you're like oh okay so i guess that's kind of part of the problem too yeah it's fascinating no i thought i thought that was a really interesting part of the story and and as someone who is decidedly not seven foot six or whatever Shaq is and plays bad, sort of, sort of shoots around, <laughs> plays basketball and like watches video of people like Allen Iverson and can see myself in them. It's kind of absurd. Even that, like you can see yourself in someone like Allen Iverson, but not Shaq, like neither one is, is realistic, Yeah, but, but that's like the kind of psychology that drives consumers and shoe right it's not logical but it makes sense right no and it's like yeah the story the story is sort of this like tale of 
some big things that they, you know, missed out on or that other competitors got. And then also just these like small things <laughs> that just show up like, yeah, like, well, Shaq was a big man. So like that impacts the amount of sales you're going to get. And like, yeah, how many, you know, how many kids want those shoes necessarily? And like another one, you know, we didn't talk about this yet, but for a while Reebok was making shoes with like famous musicians. So like Jay-Z made shoes with Reebok, 50 Cent made shoes with Reebok, like big names in the music industry. But kind of one of the reasons that that didn't necessarily play out was it might have been too early because <laughs> they were one of the first ones doing that. And then also kind of what I mentioned before about they had these great launches, but they didn't really contain the supply. So they didn't build up that kind of mystique that someone like Nike does on these big launches. But yeah, it's just there's there's all of these kinds of different ways that that Reebok was trying to still make it big and they were good ideas. Um, but there's all these small factors of like why things individual things went wrong and and why it's not yeah at the same place that nike is today i want to sorry to go back to Shaq. i want to know what his plan <laughs> for reebok is if he were to if authentic brands were to buy it why he thinks he could i mean revive you it. He, should, he should be reading your story by the basketball. way <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll send we'll send authentic brands a copy of the piece if they <laughs> if they buy the company um but no i mean i think like on a, on a literal note, basketball was one of the bigger spaces that Reebok was involved in pre-Adidas acquisition. So that, I think uh, the current president, Matt O'Toole, had mentioned that in the piece, that basketball is another opportunity they could get back into. They could potentially yeah, branch out into more sports again. So I think I think that's kind of to be expected because that's what they were before Adidas acquired them. But at the same time, so many years have passed and Nike, Nike and Adidas are both so much larger than Reebok is now that it feels like they would have to, they have to really like carve a sort of different path in order to get anywhere close to competing with the big players again. I mean, even I think, you know, I think even Lululemon makes something like $5 billion a year, which is a lot of money, but it's nowhere close to the over $40 billion that, that Nike makes. So it's really, you know, it'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens. I think I would hedge a bet, especially if Shaq is involved, that Reebok gets back into basketball and some of those bigger sports. What, what do you think is the, the best case scenario for them? In, in terms of a buyer like or spin-off. what could they possibly reach? No, no I mean, just in, in terms of who could buy them. Once they are separated from, from Adidas, what's the what's sort of the upside potential? But I, I, I would imagine who is driving the, the car there matters. I think, I mean, I think it's hard to really say. One of the things that a lot of people were stressing, and especially some of the Reebok, former Reebok employees, they were really stressing, like, whoever acquires them, it really needs to be someone that cares about the brand and, like, has enthusiasm for building the company. Like, as long as they look at Reebok and they see, like, you know, legitimate growth potential in it, there's a ton of different ways that the brand could go. So, you know, to the point earlier, they could branch out into these other sports again, or one idea that was floated is, like, you know, they could even just 
focus around their kind of heritage products and start bringing those back and make a decent business out of just like the nostalgia for their old products and that kind of thing. And that's something where some of my sources had also said Adidas had probably stopped them from playing in that space more because Adidas has had success with retro products. So that's an opportunity that opens up for Reebok again. And then I would imagine, you know, depending on who acquires them, they could IPO at some point again. It's a really well-known name. So I'm interested, I'm interested to see kind of which direction <laughs> whoever buys them ends up going. Cause it could, yeah, it could go a lot of different, a lot of different ways. And to your to the second kind of question, I think that, yeah, that depends entirely on what the owner attempts to do with Reebok. But there's there's not necessarily a reason that it couldn't become a, a huge brand again. It's just a matter of like perspective and time, right? Like it took Nike a long time to get to where it is today. I mean, you would have to find someone ready to dump a ton of resources into it. Right. And take, take a big risk chasing after one of the... A hundred percent. It would, yeah. I mean, it would take a long, it would take a long road, but it's not, you know, it, I could see potentially if a, a future where it's competing with like Lululemon Under Armour in that kind of tier of, of sports companies, which are both, I think, close, closest to $5 billion annually. So like Reebok's a few billion dollars beneath that right now, but like those seem more attainable in terms of where Reebok could could get to. But I think and I think this is another kind of point that I thought was really salient in the piece, which is Paul Fireman, I think, was the one talking about this. But he said there's no such thing as a perfect brand like any company could theoretically beat any other company. And like, you know, if you were back in the 50s, you wouldn't have thought anyone would ever beat out Ford or General Motors. And like, look where we are today. Like you have Tesla <laughs> and you have these other companies that are kind of competing. So I thought that was an, an interesting point. And also there's something to the idea that Nike is so big now that it's become a little bit ubiquitous where even looking at something like Simone Biles leaving Nike and signing with Athleta, that's a little bit indicative of like Nike's become so much of a powerhouse and they sign everyone in like every sport that some people are now kind of defecting to other athletics brands because they're like, well, Nike basically doesn't have time for me because I'm not the biggest athlete to them. Yeah. Which, which is ironic because that's that's sort of the reverse situation with Nike and Michael Jordan when when they signed. Up. Yeah. I mean, Nike was brand new on the market and they they took a I mean, they they took Jordan and put him front and center in a way that another brand might. not. Yeah. Have. And I think I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan wanted to sign with Adidas. <laughs> like, <That's right. laughs> there's you know, it's it's re yeah, it's really fascinating. But there is something and to... I'm pretty sure some people tried to talk Jordan <laughs> out of signing yeah. with Nike and he did it and it, it worked out really well for everyone. Yeah, involved. no. And now I'm sure he would, you know, absolutely make that choice again because of how important he is to Nike as a company. But yeah, it just becomes like if you're Nike and you're signing everyone under the sun in every in every sport, 
eventually the athletes, like you can't give all of the athletes that attention. Like you can't afford to, to give all of the athletes their own brand. And like, you know, not necessarily that every athlete deserves its own brand under Nike, for example, but it begs the question of like, what more can you do with someone who, who really cares about your particular value and your particular message? So there's some interesting kind of thoughts around, yeah, like where could you, where could you differentiate from Nike and what, what have they kind of become too big to, to deal with? I, I don't know. This story was so fun to work on and everyone at the company was so just like really excited about Reebok and like thrilled to kind of talk about the company's past. It's just like, it strikes me that a lot of people care a lot about this brand, which is part of what made it such a such a fun profile to go into. But it also just, it says something about the company that there are these people who feel so strongly about it and who really, um, who really are positive on it. And that's the other thing. Most of, most of the conversation, even though this is a story ultimately of Reebok's decline, most of the conversations were all positive, whether it was about like their heyday in the 80s or whether it was about what the future holds. Everyone was, for the most part, just thrilled to be talking about the company. So I think, I think that's something that kind of stuck out to me as a reporter, like that it felt a little bit different than other companies I've looked into. And yeah, I just thought, I thought that was super interesting and super fun to, to talk to people who felt so strongly about the company. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening and be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.